HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Uptown Beer Society, a craft beer gang dedicated to making memorable collaborations with New York City brands and breweries owned by people of color. Learn more on Instagram at Uptown Beer Society. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're recording remotely, and today is Tuesday, August 18th, 2020, on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. We have a special show today. Uh, one of our favorite uh, brewery owners and brewers in Brooklyn, uh, Basil Lee of Finback Brewing, is joining us with, with some of the new team he has um, that's part of the, the new Finback Brooklyn. So, Basil, welcome to the show, and congratulations on all the new projects you have. Thank you, Jimmy. It's good to be back. So just give us a quick overview of uh, Finback Brooklyn. It sounds like you've got this whole kind of beverage studio, almost like a, a this cultural center uh, with like spirits and coffee and, and dumplings. Um, I'm really fascinated. Like this seems like t- breweries 2.0, what they should be doing. Um, yeah, we are super excited for it. Um, I think for us, it really started as this simple, small project where we just wanted to be able to have a tap room, uh, in Brooklyn, a little closer to public transportation, a little easier to get to, as you know, our spot in Queens, um, is really a destination where you have to decide you want to come visit us. And so we were just looking for another place to open a tap room and it kind of very quickly, um, I guess, spiraled out of control in terms of trying to incorporate all the things we love to eat and and drink uh, and to do. And so really, we thought of it as being a beverage studio, a place where we could all be creative, a place where, you know, the Finback team and Andrew uh, and everyone can essentially um, flex their creative muscles. So we have a small brew house uh, doing some somewhat more, I guess, uh, small batch pilot kind of brews. And then, of course, with Andrew, we are uh, incorporating a spirits program, so we're really doing gin, um, and we can talk more about that in a second, um, as well as coffee and dumplings. So we use coffee in a lot of our beers. We drink a lot of coffee, um, and we drink, you know, we get the chance to drink a lot of coffee that friends of ours roast, uh, and so we wanted to um, kind of try our hand at that as well. And dumplings, of course, 
you, you have to eat. So we figured we might as well bring some dumplings into the mix. Well, that's a great intro. And it's, it's really exciting because I feel like you're really on the pulse of, of what people want to do. In fact, I remember if, if I was going to be a bartender in a tap room, I would always want to start my shift with a cup of coffee. So <laughs> um, you're doing great. And, I, and, and Andrew, the, the reason this show came together is that I've known Andrew, Andrew say Thomas for quite a number of years as a home brewer. And I think I just learned yes. recently that, that you were doing the distillery with basil at Finback. So, Andrew, tell us how, how you started distilling and how you came together in Finback, Brooklyn. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so I've been home brewing for about 11 or t- 10 or 11 years at this point. And, you know, I was looking to kind of get into opening up a brewery for a long time. And ultimately that fell through. Uh, I've known Basil and Kevin for a good 10 years now. And we started talking about kind of what the next step was going to be. Uh, and I wanted to try my hand at distilling because, you know, in order to make a good spirit, you have to make a good beer. And so, you know, took my fermentation skills, uh, started making up some uh, corn beer, essentially 10% corn beer uh, and distilling it out. Um, that led to making mostly gin. Uh, I love gin. I love the idea of being able to work with different botanicals, uh, different uh, roots, different herbs to create something that's very unique. That's great. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Keep going. Oh, yeah. You know, so then, uh, you know, like I said, Basil and Kevin and I kind of sat down and kind of mapped out a plan of what this, you know, distillery project could be. Uh, We looked at possibly doing something small out in Queens, uh, quickly realized that we needed a little more space. uh, And then we found this place on President Street and the two ideas just kind of came together. A new uh, Finback Brooklyn spot, a nice little spot for half-tone spirits. And, you know, for the last year and a half, we've kind of been working towards getting the distillery up and running. That's great. So, so Basil, uh, what was different about opening the, the new spot versus the first brewery? I, it's kind of an obvious question, but I'd like to hear it from your perspective. <laughs> um, well, I, I think it's funny because I always joked after we opened Queens that um, we would get it right when we opened our next brewery. Um, and then... <laughs> And then I think working on Brooklyn, uh, I, I am um, making the same joke, which is I think we'll get it a little bit more right when we open our third one. But I think the, the biggest thing is we really had a bit more um, time to focus on like how we wanted uh, the next tap room to be and what types of projects we wanted to do there. You know, for Queens, it was really about we wanted to make beer by any means necessary. Um, we had really no money and just kind of this like attitude of we're just going to try to make this work and figure it out. Um, for, for Brooklyn, we were fortunate enough where we were operating a little bit and we kind of knew what we wanted to do. We really wanted to focus on the taproom experience. Um, you know, we felt that that was the best way, you know, for us to kind of express, um, you know, what we do at Finback to, to people, um, as well as we kind of see it as, Really now, I feel like everyone sees this, but the evolution of how um, you get craft beer out, you know, which is really kind of this direct-to-consumer taproom model. Um, and so in, in Brooklyn, we really just focused on making the taproom as comfortable uh, as we could, you know, kind of designed in a way that would really be uh, a, a fun place to drink and to hang out. Um, and so I think the the opening Brooklyn really was just for us like this um, opportunity to, to, to be creative and to really try to like do a lot of things like 
you know, on our wish list uh, in terms of opening the tap room. And then aren't you and your partner, Kevin, do you guys have a design or art background? Yeah, so I am uh, an architect, really, in a previous life. Kevin is uh, a graphic designer uh, and illustrator. And so we both do a lot of that kind of work at Finback still. Um, so I, for the most part, design the new space, um, you know, really kind of um, wanted to put a little bit of a uh, kind of our aesthetic to it. Um, but yeah, we, we both have creative backgrounds. Well, that's great. And then what was it like when, when, when you started talking to Andrew? I mean, it, it's and how big is a jump of a jump it is to add the distillery and the licensing and everything and in the in the layout of the space. I mean, there must be is are there separations between the distilling area and the brewery? Yeah, so we I mean, like Andrew was saying, you know, we've been really home brewing and drinking together for for a decade now. And so, you know, I think we've been having the conversation about flavor and about alcohol and spirits and beer for a long time. And I know that, you know, for us we were um, kind of Andrew was trying to open his own brewery for a long time. Um, and we were always kind of following that. And I think when Andrew made the transition to spirits, we kind of saw, um, how kind of really how much potential there was in that in terms of exploring flavors. Um, you know, Kevin and I had other kind of interests in other spirits projects. Um, but then when we kind of talked with Andrew in terms of gin, uh, specifically, it really became kind of apparent how we could evolve what we did in beer to what we were all interested in spirits. And so when we came up with the Brooklyn idea, it was pretty quick in terms of um, having the conversations with Andrew to to see if we were all into the idea of incorporating it into the new taproom. Um, and so we, I would say, pretty much um, – really we're on the same page from the beginning and we started, you know, incorporating and figuring out how the, the two components would work together, how the tap rooms w- would work together. Um, in terms of separation, you know, there are like functional kind of separations and things like that, but we really wanted to design the space as well as all of the different, um, you know, beverages we're making as one cohesive thing. You know, I, re- I really personally want to see, you know, the fermentation um, kind of influence the 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 distillation and vice versa and coffee roasting um into both of them and potentially you know using barrels across the different um you know beverages so we may age something uh age gin in a in a in a barrel and then potentially age beer in that barrel or age coffee in a beer barrel or you know whatever it might be and really find synergies between each of the different um kind of medium Basil, right now, what is um, one of the beers that you're making with coffee? Oh, um, well, actually, I guess the most recent one we did was um, Black is Beautiful. Um, and that's a beer we're, we're super proud of. I mean, also mainly because of its uh, kind of social mission. Um, so, of course, I'm sure you all know Black is Beautiful um, by Weathered Souls to kind of raise awareness about racial equality and racial justice. Um, and so we did that beer and we kind of just added uh, a bunch of coffee. It was an Ecuadorian coffee um, that was roasted by Mostra. So really the coffee they make is just superb. Um, and, and, and yeah, that was the most recent. It was like a, I want to say it was like a 9% stout with coffee. Yeah, I was setting you up because I wanted to say, do you have a, a direct tap line from the coffee into, into the, the brewing 
vats or something. <laughs> How do you get the coffee and the beer? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, so we actually ha- we we we've tried a lot of uh, a, a different techniques, and I would say our really the technique we settled on for the most part is we actually steep the coffee in the finished beer. So it's essentially like like dry hopping. Um, so we put the coffee into sacks, and it goes into the finished beer. Wow, that's great. Let's go to Andrew. So Andrew, uh, I know you were a home brewer. I've kn- I knew you for a long time. Um, when you first started distilling, uh, what were some of the challenges that you had? And then also, uh, when you moved to the facility, you know what 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 type of equipment you got? You know, like the the, the intro distilling lessons you learned. Yeah, no, it's been a gr- it's been a great journey just trying to understand the way that you know, different botanicals can play a role in the finished product. Like you think about something like licorice root, which everybody would kind of associate perhaps with, uh, you know, black, you know, black licorice candy, but you know, licorice root, for example, when you put it into a distilled spirit, gets like a nice warm, almost kind of cocoa flavor and has a natural sweetness and really tastes nothing like licorice. So there's been a number of like, uh, times that like botanicals have completely blown me away by what, the finished product tastes like. And so for the first few years, there's a lot of exploring what those flavors mean, how they translate into a spirit, uh, and how we can utilize them uh, in our finished product. Um, As for the still itself at the distillery, um, we worked with a company out of Florida that allowed us to create a very hybrid modular system, uh, which is pretty cool. It allows us to make whiskey, if we choose to make whiskey in a pot still, it allows us to make uh, perfectly clear neutral grain spirit, uh, which is a great carrier of flavors for gin. You want to have a very clean spirit to redistill and infuse with uh, different botanicals. Um, uh, it also makes you know a crystal clear, perfectly good vodka as well. So uh, it, it really allows us to uh, try out different spirits, create different spirits, uh, and, and really explore what we can do using different grains, different botanicals, um, you know, different aging processes, things like that. So it's, uh, it's a really nimble system and, and quite unique and, and very beautiful, I got to say. Right. How, how much uh, research did you put into that? I mean, I saw pictures on, on Instagram. It looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so I worked with the company for about two years to design it, uh, you know, kind of going back and forth, what ultimately we wanted to create, you know, what our budget was, uh, you know, kind of where we wanted to scale up and, 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 uh, yeah, it was, it was really great. I think pretty much Basil, Kevin, and I and the company kind of all worked together like on the blueprints and then had it, had it manufactured in China. It came here. We assembled it. Um, and uh, it's been great so far. Wow. And so when you're doing your, you know, your typical batch, I assume you're, you're – what do you start with? Like what, what volume of liquid and then what do you end up with just as like an introduction for us? Sure. Yeah. So we're using um, uh, New York State uh, flaked corn. We are a New York State uh, farm distillery. Uh, so we start out with essentially 2,000 pounds of corn. Uh, we ferment that down into um, a 10% uh, wash, a corn wash. Uh, we then distill that one time out. And what comes out on the first distillation is basically 95%, you know, as pure of grain alcohol as we can get. Um, we can uh, proof that down and turn that out into vodka, uh, or more likely we will redistill that. And so when we redistill it, uh, we will uh, macerate different botanicals in that spirit for a day or two, sometimes four or five, kind of depending on the spirit we're making. 
uh, and then we will redistill that spirit through what's called a gin basket. And in the gin basket is all the various botanicals that you want to flavor the gin with. And so the vapor passes through, the alcohol vapor passes through the gin basket, infuses, and comes out the other side as glorious, delicious gin. Wow. So that's, is that called double distilled or twice distilled? Uh, now, I mean, like the, it could be considered twice distilled. Uh, we have what's called like a rectifying still. So it's kind of hard to count distillation numbers. I know people love to say like, oh, this vodka is eight times distilled. Um, hypothetically, you know, because we have uh, 18 plates in our still and we're distilling it twice through, we could say it was distilled 36 times. Um, so it's kind of a, a kind of a marketing misnomer, to be honest. Um, but it is a, a very pure and clean spirit, which is what we're going for. Wow. And then what are some of your favorite uh, botanicals to use? I know you mentioned licorice root. Yeah, uh, I mean, so our flagship gin utilizes hawthorn berry, um, which is something I came across. You know, I was looking at different um, gins across the world, and some people use lingonberry or raspberry. uh, But I wanted something a little more local and came across uh, hawthorn berry, which is native to New England. Um, It's a small red berry. There's a tree that grows just down the street from me in front of a grocery store for hawthorn berry, which is that prevalent. You might just see it every day and not know it's there. Um, But it has, uh, it's related to uh, the rose plant and rose petals. So uh, aromatically, it has this really nice floral note to it, but it is at the end of the day, a red berry. So it provides this nice like fruity uh, backbone to the gin as well. So uh, I don't know many spirits that use hawthorn berry, uh, but I think it's a really, it's a big highlight for us. So like d- down the road, what are some of the plans? Are you going to have different botanical gins or is, is there any, any other yeah. creative uh, vision? Absolutely. So right now uh, at the uh, President Street Brooklyn location, uh, we have three gins available. We have a London dry that utilizes a lot of citrus fruit um, and it's very kind of classic. You're kind of what most people expect you know, a gin to be, but a bit more elevated, a little bit more refined. Uh, we have our flagship, which is kind of considered like a new Western style. So we use hawthorn berry, we use sumac, um, uh, cardamom, pink peppercorn. So it's a little more, um, uh, a little more unique, certainly. Uh, we have a magenta gin, which is a pink gin that utilizes uh, rose hips, raspberry leaf, pomegranate seeds to get like a really fruit forward gin. Uh, so we have those three right now. Uh, we're working on a kind of an international series. Uh, one will be like a Japanese style using gin matcha tea and yuzu. Uh, we're looking at doing like a Spanish style using uh, mandarin oranges and um, olive leaf. Uh, and then we're also going to have like a rotating hop series, obviously working with Finback and, and all the, the beer aficionados out there. Um, we will have a rotating hop series. First one out is going to be Cascade. So we'll be using Cascade hops, but kind of supplementing that with those nice like grapefruit notes and, and orange notes you get from Cascade Hops, a little bit of wormwood in there to bring in the dankness. Um, so yeah, no, we will have a, a pretty much evolving kind of rotating series of gins, um, seasonal gins, one-off gins, uh, but really a huge exploration of what uh, gin itself can be. Well, I'm quite impressed. So this is really a standalone spirits operation. This isn't just like you know, boiling off beer and coming up with a beer, a spirit or something. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, in many ways, like this whole Brooklyn location is kind of a, a place to experiment with flavors and tastes and the interaction of, of, of all these different um, beverages and, and flavors. Yeah, I think what was um, 
really interesting to me is is actually thinking about how gin is this really this foundation of playing with flavors because you have so many different botanicals that you can infuse and and essentially curate um, that it was this really interesting creative uh, spirit that we could play with. You know, I think that we and and for me personally, you know, I, I definitely drink drank gin a long time ago and I think just kind of got away from it. And I think there was also very specifically, you know, these kind of mass market gins that, that people are used to. And then now I think, especially, you know, in the UK or in Europe, there's like this, there's been this whole kind of gin revival. It's such a nice, refreshing um, kind of backdrop for flavor. You know, a, a gin and tonic in the summer is just so wonderful and 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 complex and nuanced and refreshing and, and all of that. And so I think it's kind of a really exciting thing for me to 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 to, to get into it and start doing it um, in Brooklyn. That's great. I, I love gin. I remember a few years ago, uh, Bar Hill out of Vermont was was my gin of choice. Also made like a small batch from a farm and, and made from honey. Um, and and when I go into to to Finback Brooklyn, um, so how can I get the gin? Are, are you selling it wholesale? Are you selling it in specialty shops? You're only selling it. Uh, in cocktails, are you going to have canned, canned gin and tonic drinks? Uh, I mean, yeah, right now we're selling it basically just, uh, you know, gin and tonics and a couple specialty cocktails, um, you, know, out of, you know, out of the patio, out of the tap room. Uh, we hopefully will be releasing bottles in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, and then distribution, you know, throughout the state kind of as we build up uh, stock. Right now we're you know, we're making it as fast as we can, and people are drinking it as fast as they can. Uh, so once we build up enough stock, we'll be able to distribute, um, certainly within the city and hopefully, you know, New York State. Wow. Sounds like the best of both worlds. And also, I know another guest is on, uh, Nico Comitas, who is, uh, for me, one of my favorite beer writers in New York City, and he's been writing about beer as, as long as anyone else has. Um, Nico, I bet you, do you have a question uh, for for Basil or Andrew about the distilling operations? Yeah. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of, one of my favorite, one of the favorite, uh, things that I love about Finback, you know, cause I've been covering the New York city beer scene for almost a decade. And, you know, I've known Basil and Kevin, uh, and Andrew, you know, since they were home brewers and kind of progressed into professional endeavors. And I've always appreciated kind of their, creative vision and the things that they wanted to explore through Finback. And, um, and I think Finback Brooklyn is, is just such a great example of their creative spirit. Um, I did want to ask, you know, as, as Andrew was speaking about the system that, you know, Finback Brooklyn has and that it, there is a potential to, you know, have bourbon or have vodka. Are there plans to, actually do that on a scale where you would release bottles and, you know, or put them in cocktails, uh, you know, further exploring and branching out of gin? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've, uh, I have a big interest in uh, whiskey, uh, rye particularly, um, and there's actually a New York State designation for New York State ryes. Uh, so obviously that takes two or three years down the road to, you know, age in a barrel, if not longer. But uh, that's certainly something that we're looking into. That's awesome. Yeah, I, oh, sorry, Basil. Go ahead. No, I was gonna, if I could follow up, I think, um, you know, what 
what was really interesting in our early discussions, you know, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting, like thinking way back, Andrew, we were talking about even distillation, you know, putting aside gin and and what you could do in terms of the flavors in gin. We were talking about distilling all sorts of stuff, right? Because it's kind of yeah. like understanding um, really, if you look around the world, it's just different sugar sources from different places and then different regions distilling it. We, you know, from, from, you know, in Chinese white wine or rice wine, like, you know, Baijiu is distilled from sorghum, which is a very particular taste. Um, and probably something that, that is pretty, pretty different to most people's palates, but something that we, we talked about experimenting with. We haven't yet, but I think that could be super fun. Um, and, and, and yeah, so I think that to me is super exciting that we can actually potentially play with, you know, really different bases and distilling and seeing what that, what that gets us. Yeah. I I find Baijiu extremely interesting because it's kind of the wild west of spirits is you can, you know, brew it or, uh, distill it mostly from sorghum, but you know, they'll use wheat, they'll use, they'll use peas, they'll use anything, any sugar source to make, uh, this white spirit. And I love it. I, I believe Beza loves it as well. And it's, <laughs> it is a unique taste, but like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the forefront of, of flavors that, that will be very fun to explore in the distillation process. And on yeah, that, and think, no, oh, yeah, go, go, go Basil, go. I was just going to say, and, and, and I think what's really interesting about the way we've set up the distillery is that, you know, we are very much a, a, a tap room. We're trying to reach people kind of directly, right? We're, we, we've made a system that's pretty small, um, for now. And, and the goal is that we can play with these things and, and potentially serve them in interesting, either on their own in cocktails and use that as a way to evolve what we're trying to do there. And w- one last question, uh, Andrew, so you're using some New York state ingredients, uh, for this dilling, you corn, you mentioned rye potentially, is there another sugar source uh, that that's grown in New York State that you you guys might use for for one of these spirits? Uh, not not initially. Um, we particularly like corn because it has a great uh, mouthfeel, a bit of residual uh, sweetness to it. Um, especially in a gin, I find uh, barley and and wheat a bit harsh. Um, so right now, I think we're mostly looking at um, uh, corn. Although there is uh, a sorghum uh, sorghum producer upstate, which, you know, one day we could possibly be making uh, Baijiu from them. <laughs> New York Farm Baijiu. That sounds good, man. <laughs> It'd be uh, a first. This, it would definitely be a first. Yeah. Well, th- this is a great conversation. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Uptown Beer Society. They're a craft beer gang dedicated to making memorable collaborations with New York City brands and breweries owned by people of color. Their Bronx Culture Series featured three beers made in collaboration with Gun Hill Brewery, inspired by the Bronx and Latinx culture. Uptown Beer Society works with underrepresented brewers and beer bar owners to highlight and celebrate cultural gems that make New York City so special. Learn more about their unique beers and where to find them when you follow them on Instagram at Uptown Beer Society. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking to the crew from Finback, Brooklyn, uh, Andrew, Say Thomas, and Basil Lee. Um, so guys, we were just talking about uh, the distilling aspect of Finback, Brooklyn. And now I'd like to shift it to Basil to talk about, you know, your, your new open uh, source collaboration. I guess it's 
the thing we, we've we've seen you know without beer festivals and and the pandemic going on we've seen some really successful you know social cause and, and just fundraiser projects the big one we all knew was the altogether beer project which i know finback made a great beer um and then there was weathered souls which you had mentioned the black is beautiful the the stout project that's still going on um so tell us about yours because you guys have stepped up and i know that there's a lot of excitement about your project um yeah so we you know i we we I think there were maybe I'll, I'll I'll back up for a second, which is to say I feel like there's always been this um, community aspect to brewing. I think that the brewers and craft brewers have always been involved in their communities and have always tried to step up to do things. You know, I think like the ones you mentioned all together, Black is Beautiful, you know, People Power by Threes, um, and all sorts of these kinds of these projects. So when 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 George Floyd happened, you know, for us it was kind of this culmination of a, a time when we were already trying to evaluate kind of what we were doing at Finback and our mission. Um, and, and we were thinking about a lot of things internally. And when that happened, it, we really kind of shifted our focus in terms of trying to understand that, trying to understand, you know, why some of these things were happening, why, you know, diversity in our industry. It's also a topic we were, we've been discussing as a, as the New York City Brewers Guild over the past year. Um, and so we really wanted to do something um, and we really wanted to try to make an impact. You know, for us, for sure, I think all these projects, you know, they have this link, which is to raise awareness, but also to raise um, some funds, some resources um, and donate it to to causes that address these issues specifically. Um, and so that that's in our project. But what, what we really wanted to do was try to just engage people directly and try to reach people directly. We were having so many conversations at the brewery within our team between people on our team and then you know we have a, a a relatively you know kind of diverse brewery and so we were also just being we, we just had a lot of conversations with our our peers and colleagues in the industry um because of that and so we wanted to incorporate that into this project so the idea was to you know the beer is called breathing conversations and the idea is to actually have a conversation um to essentially memorialize in the can somehow and so then are on the can somehow and so then the can would become part of this dialogue um and the the hope is that you know we we want the project to really be kind of slow and steady we want breweries hopefully to do it and that it, it's not all just something that happens quickly but it's something that can happen organically and that hopefully we can still be having this conversation so we don't forget about how important this is when you know when people are back at work and when when things begin to die down and people aren't necessarily engaging so much in it, we, we hope that this conversation can keep going because it's, it's a conversation I think we need to have for, for a long time to, to really address these issues. So, so if I'm a brewery and I want to make the, the breathing conversation, so it's a double IPA, right? And you, you, I know you give the, the recipe. Um, yep. Am I supposed to, with my brewing team, have a conversation and, and put some of that, the dialogue on the can on yeah, the label? That's, that's right. And, you know, we've left it pretty open. Um, so it could be internal to your brewing team, um, but also it could be between breweries. So we've actually had some breweries um, essentially do a collaboration with another brewery and have a conversation between breweries. And that's what happened or ends up on the can. So it's pretty flexible. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, you know, we didn't necessarily um, be prescriptive about how to have the conversation, just that you have a conversation about race, uh, obviously. Um, so yeah, it, and, and we're really hoping to see 
how people will have this conversation. You know, it could be a conversation um, over social media. It could be a conversation with your, your, your fans or customers or in the tap room. You know, however the conversations had, our goal is really just to engage. And then hopefully it, it gets put on the can, you know, a, a question or an insight and that then whoever's drinking that beer might might respond um, as well, or might it might uh, it elicit a conversation between friends when they're drinking that beer together, or something like that. You know, it's it it is very relevant. I mean, I'm I'm almost cliche to say it now, but we really felt deeply about this at Heritage Radio Network. I know that when the George Floyd protest started, uh, everyone here was like, we have to address this and talk about it. Um, so I, I had never really talked about it before myself. Um, we, we've, you know, tried to have some shows about diversity, but I probably never really went, went as far into it as, as we should have. And we're trying to now, um, what are some of the conversations that, that have come out, um, that have made it onto the cans that, that, cause I know you have quite a few breweries doing this already. Yeah, I think right now, I think most of the conversations have been like our conversation, for example, uh, on our, we just released it maybe two weeks ago. We're going to be releasing another one in a, in a few weeks. But the first can for us wanted to be just an introduction to the project. So it was kind of um, more broadly about you know how to initiate this conversation about race. Some of the conversations we've been having, um, and we're going to start um, trying to get those out, posting about it a little bit. Um, but we, for example, actually, I also want to make sure I uh, give a shout out to Anthony, uh, Anthony Totten at Finback, who is integral to this project, uh, who's really kind of a champion and leading it as well. Um, but we we sat down with with Garrett and we had a conversation just about each of our experiences. And he was also at that point, it was the weekend before he was finalizing uh, his foundation um, and and scholarship program on this issue. And so it was kind of interesting to hear what he was thinking about, you know, how do you how do you help people and how do you, how might you use funds to help people in the long term? Um, and so things like that, you know, we've had conversations with some breweries, you know, friends of ours, and it almost is, is, is obvious when I think about it, but I never really thought about it, that there are breweries um, that are, that are great people making great beer, but by virtue of just where they are, may not have any people of color on their staff. And so talking about that with them was an interesting conversation. You know, what does that mean in terms of um, not having diversity on your staff? How do you how do you try to gain diversity on your staff? Um, you know, how do you address those in different communities? So things like that so far. And want to recap what what Garrett Oliver's project is because it's it's quite. I, I think it's just I'm so res- I respect him so much, and I'd just love to hear you, you describe it to us. Yeah. So, um, so essentially I think, and I, I, uh, do not remember exactly the details, but basically he was asked, um, by, a, by someone to essentially start a scholarship fund or he was given some funds to start, you know, this scholarship fund. And so he kind of put together a team and the idea is to, um, essentially, create an opportunity for uh, black uh, brewers and people who wanted to become brewers, um, but also I think people who are in the industry and who could um, advance their careers and their development with this. Um, I want to say it was a relatively modest amount of money to begin with, you know, $30,000, $40,000. But very quickly, you know, it's, you know, 
people are supporting it and, and, and giving it to it. And I know that the idea is really to, he's going to find people work together with his team to essentially give scholarships um, to people of color to get into the industry. So like to go to a brewing school or, or to get paid as an internship or something? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think specifically to go to a brewing school, I can't remember if it was Siebel specifically or which program it was, but specifically for a program. You know, on that same topic, um, New York City Brewers Guild um, has a diversity initiative working with uh, Chris from Daleview and, and Chris from Rockaway, um, also doing a similar thing in that trying to essentially have a New York City internship program for people of color, um, and they'll intern at New York City um, breweries. I think that's going to kick off probably in the next couple of months, probably by next year, someone will actually be on that, uh, uh, you know, kind of going through that program. And so, you know, similar ideas is how do we kind of attract and support people of color in the industry? I think New York City is already relatively speaking, um, you know, a, a more diverse um, place for the brewing industry. But I think certainly we can do better here. And hopefully these these programs start multiplying outside of New York City um, so that we can really get more diversity across the board. Wow, that's really great. I mean, it's it's interesting to see how, like, so the, some of these open source collaborations keep kind of going deeper and deeper. Um, just tell me about the beer. So it, what's the recipe for that you're putting out. Yeah. So we really wanted to keep the recipe super simple. I mean, a lot of our beer recipes are super simple, but we wanted, essentially we made the beer, what was something we knew would be a hit. So it's an 8% somewhat, you know, hazy, uh, new England style IPA, so new England yeast, um, simple grain bill, mostly Pilsner. I want to say it's Pilsner and wheat and then dry hop with citra mosaic. Um, so it's kind of, you know, on the one hand, you could say it's a bit easy because Citra Mosaic is just such a winning combination. And I think it is something that especially over the course of the the, the kind of New England IPA um, evolution, it's just a, a, co- a combination of hops that's very pleasant, um, people really like. And so we really just wanted to make something that was going to be, in a way, um, a background piece, right? That just solid beer, but not necessarily be demanding in a way um, so that the, the conversation can be highlighted. And then we also made it pretty flexible. So we said, you know, we wanted some breweries who may not be traditional um, kind of hoppy beer brewers, and we, we wanted them to participate. So we said, hey, you can take this and modify it however you see fit. Some people, uh, Rare Barrel, obviously, are going to do uh, a sour version of it and um, various breweries can kind of modify. So really it's a pretty open kind of recipe, pretty open, um, beer for people in terms of what they want to brew. Um, as long as the conversation is had, that's really for us the important part of it. And it seems that like these collaborations, they're in a sense taking the place of, you know, international festivals, right? Where just last year, Many New York City brewers were traveling all over the world, appearing at festivals, doing collaborations. Um, do, do you feel that this is filling that hole a little bit? I mean, I think I think to some degree, for sure. You know, I think um, finding ways to stay connected is is really important. I think we all miss a little bit of the you know the the festival 
engagement, you know, kind of in-person engagement, but obviously for very good reasons, no one's doing that these days. Um, and I do think that, um, you know, finding these projects um, kind of, you know, forcing people to essentially engage other brewers um, has been a good kind of community aspect and, and kind of a connecting aspect to help replace some of that lost social aspect of festivals. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and, and beer writer Nico, um, do, you, do you want to ask a question uh, of Basil uh, about this project? Yeah, I would, conversations. I, would, I would love to know, you know, I, I covered, I covered all, uh, other halves altogether initiative, you know, I did a piece on that and, um, I did, you know, I was traveling across the country last month and popped into Ren House in Phoenix, Arizona. And, um, you know, it was kind of at the height of the protests, uh, for George Floyd and they were actually working on a beer called Black Excellence. So I had, done a piece on that. You know, I'm kind of curious as, as, uh, you know, time passes, how often will you be putting out, you know, different beers within this project and, and essentially keeping this, this, uh, initiative going as, as time moves on? Yeah. Um, I think that our goal, well, we probably will plan on doing it at least, I would say, two to three times a year for the foreseeable future, you know, is, is, is my guess. I think, you know, in some ways, it, for me, in some ways, right now, it's a, it's a very specific topic that we want to address. Um, but in, in terms of being more kind of fundamental to that, for us, this project was about, um, forcing us to evaluate our ethos as a company and our ethos as a team. You know, I know that even before uh, all of this stuff kind of happened over the past few months, you know, our team, you know, people have an interest in trying to incorporate mission into what we do, right? Obviously, we all work together. We, we make beer. We, everyone works very hard um, and, and, and we enjoy it and we love it. But we also want to find kind of deeper meaning in what we do. Um, and, and for a while, a lot of it is volunteering or doing, you know, types of beers or events that might support pink boots or might, you know, support local community initiatives. And for us, this really solidified a way to think about um, our mission in a longer term. So one of the things, and again, this is all very early days for us, but one of the things we kind of committed to do is um, what we're calling a project internally beyond beer, which is we're going to commit, uh, you know, we've committed 10,000 to it now, but ultimately we'd like to commit a lot more. We've asked some of our brewery friends and colleagues to also contribute essentially to start a fund um, and that we can, over the course of the next few years, hopefully raise money and then use that money to support this mission. You know, and I think that would be, some of it might just be donated to other people who are already doing this work. Some of it we're contemplating would be to do events, to actually have some of these conversations in person and to actually try to engage um, more directly. Um, and, and so I think for us, you know, at least for now, I'll say I think the plan is to do this and to evolve this for probably for, you know, at least some form of it 
for for a long time um, and and use it. You know, maybe the conversations will change next year or the year after, but use it as a platform for us to really kind of shape, you know, trying to do some some meaningful work um, beyond, uh, you know, what we do. I think one of the things that we really see in beer that that is unique is that it's a very collaborative community. You know, breweries are, I think, very different than other places in that even though we're somewhat competitors in this industry, we're all very close friends and work together to, to, to kind of achieve goals. And I think that there is this also this kind of platform in social media and, and people talking around beer. It's just a, a social kind of thing. And so we see this as hopefully um, kind of a natural parallel to what we do in terms of making beer and, and trying to do a little bit of good. Well, that's great. It definitely makes sense. Have a beer and, and a conversation. Um, let's go to one more thing. Um, farm. So are, <laughs> are you opening a farm in New York State? Um, so you, you are, you are, the, you're the first to hear it here, but we, we are, we are, um, we are in the process of, of acquiring a farm in New York state. Um, and the goal is, you know, part of it is really to, to, to grow some things, um, that we, again, that we use in our beer, um, especially in our kind of wood and sour program. Um, but, but beyond that, I think, it's a project, and uh, and I know I've been rambling on a little bit, but just a very quick aside. Like, uh, I took a trip to Mexico, and it was specifically to learn about um, agave and mezcal, and it was kind of really inspiring to me because it was this very clear intersection between land, agriculture, people, and this product that's created, which is a spirit or an alcohol, um, and it was just so kind of heartwarming to see how you know the livelihoods of communities and the 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 kind of stewardship of 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 land uh and then also the production of alcohol that people really like drinking and 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 enjoying together kind of come together and so we wanted to kind of try to have some of that in our lives and so we've we've um started looking for a farm early this year it's been a dream for a long time, but actually kind of, we were like on a whim, I think because of all this being home with COVID and not traveling, it allowed us to focus on other projects. And we really, I personally didn't think it was going to happen. I thought this would be, you know, maybe a, a few years out, um, but an opportunity presented itself. And so we are finalizing that and hopefully we'll have a small kind of, I mean, it'll be a phase project, but a small kind of farm brewery and agricultural aspect and, and, and a place where we can really have people uh, interact with the farm and making of beer and growing of things in New York. Wow, man. Well, that's really exciting. And, and thanks for, for sharing that with us. Um, the last thing I want to ask, uh, Andrew, uh, just the other day in the New York Times and in, in, uh, some online edition of the food section, they were talking about beer cocktails. And I, I kind of always turn my nose up at beer cocktails but there was one that sounded really good. It was a tequila and IPA uh, kind of refresher with ice. Um, it, with your gin, I don't know if you're doing them already, but what would be a good, uh, you know, halftone spirit and Finback uh, summer cocktail, you know, beyond sure. gin and tonics? <laughs> right, right. Uh, utilizing beer or just in general? With, with beer. Like, Use, just okay, using me. Beer? 
You're going to sure, take just a for pinback you. beer and a half-tone yeah. spirit. And right now you're going to make me a summer cocktail because I'm really thirsty. All right. Yeah, I mean, I would probably start out with uh, one of Finback's Pilsners. Um, I don't know all of them. Basil, maybe you can recommend one for me off the top of my head. Uh, I do Wellspring. But something... Wellspring, okay. We'll go with that. You know, let's throw in some of the London Dry Spirit in there, which has a ton of citrus to really heighten up that citrus note of the hops. Uh, maybe add in just a touch more sparkling water to thin it out a little bit so it's not too viscous. Um, yeah, then you'd probably want a pretty fun garnish. And, you know, I'd say go a little bit left of field and either go with a sprig of rosemary uh, to kind of bring in some earthiness. Or if you want to go more on the fruity side, you know, maybe throw in like a muddled cherry or something like that. Oh, that sounds great with a muddled cherry. And then just to wrap this up, everyone, please tell me either one beer you're drinking now or, or I should be drinking from Finback. Uh, okay, I'll start. I, I would say that if it's a Finback beer, I would, I, I would have you drink Continuum. It is a mixed culture sour beer finished with some local honey from hives in our backyard. Um, it is. I was really happy with how this turned out. We have been kind of honing our sour program. Alex, uh, our our barrel wrangler, has been doing a fantastic job, and so I would I would recommend that to you. That's great. I would Andrew? say that is a that is that is a hell of a <laughs> beer. I just had it the other day. Uh, as far as the beer, I think the uh, is it sounds of color. The watermelon goza that's on right now is. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, but, you know, I'm partial to the gin and tonics and, you know, so I'm actually drinking a gin and tonic as we speak. Uh, same here. Same here. <laughs> and and, and Nico, um, I know you also work at the tap room sometimes. Is there a Finback favorite? Uh, that's that's a tough one. There are so many good Finback beers. Uh, quick shout out to the beer I made with Finback two years ago. Nico, Neko Nico. Um, but out of what's around now, I would have to say, I mean, considering the hot weather that we're all kind of dealing with, uh, Sounds of Color, which is a goza with watermelon and sea salt that I would liken to a watermelon Jolly Rancher. It's just super refreshing um, and a really enjoyable beer. Well, you, you guys have been so great. I'll tell you, when, whenever Nico helps put together a show, it, it's always one of my favorites. So. Thank you, Nico. And Andrew, uh, again, you know, learning about the spirits that you're making. This is really exciting. I know you're very talented and passionate, and I'm, I'm really proud of you. And Basil, let's do it. Finback Brooklyn 2.0. Um, <laughs> rock it out. This is really fun, and I'm looking forward to doing another show with you guys next year when we hear more about how that's going. So, everybody, thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Thanks for joining me, Basil, Andrew, and Nico. And big shout out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and head engineer, and who's an engineer today, Matt Patterson. I will catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. 
Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.